always helps when you unmute yourself. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Talk and Torque. I am your host, Colin Livingston. Uh, been a very, very busy couple of weeks. Uh, we had to take last week off uh, with a little family situation. Uh, really happy to be back. Uh, obviously, uh, we try and focus on racing and business. And tonight, uh, we'll get to cover both of those. Uh, really excited. Uh, got a friend of mine coming on. Um, been a longtime driver in the NASCAR Pinty Series, Larry Jackson. Uh, about the friendliest guy on the planet, not just in the world of racing, just a super, super uh, friendly guy. Really looking forward to diving into, um, you know, Larry's story, how he got into racing, uh, what's happening this year. They've got a lot of really exciting stuff coming up. Uh, and then later on tonight, uh, I've got a, a distribution partner of mine from uh, my Cantorque side of things. Uh, they represent us up in Fort McMurray, Alberta. Uh, so we'll be talking to uh, one of the guys from MFM Tools, part of the Mikasu Tool Group. And uh, that's going to be, uh, for me, that's going to be fun. Hopefully uh, we get a few people chiming in and uh, asking a few questions and things like that. But uh want to go back. Uh, very, very, very busy couple of weeks in, uh, in racing. Uh, last weekend, obviously, in Formula One, a uh, bit of a blowout again in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, when, when you've got a, a seven-time champ referring to the Red Bull car as the fastest he's ever seen, uh, that should open a few eyes. And, and not from the standpoint that they're doing something unfair. Um, you know, obviously Red Bull has found something with their car that, that other teams haven't. And, um, you know, their advantage is, is massive. The, the big thing, uh, I read a lot of chatter this week about what, what Lewis meant, you know, and there were graphs about how their car, you know, the, the car in 2014 was more dominant than that. Blah, 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 blah. That's not what Lewis was talking about. What Lewis was talking about was how quickly the Red Bull can pass other cars with the DRS. So in a straight line with that wing open, they are as fast as anything he's ever seen. And, you know, when a seven time champ is, is speaking like that, um, you know, people should probably listen instead of arguing with them because he just knows more than anybody else. Um, with that, uh, really messy week though, in, in formula one, you've got uh, Franz toast from, uh, alpha Tauri saying that he doesn't trust his engineers and, and, you know, that was, that was mind boggling to me that chucking his, his team under the bus. Um, I'm not sure what he had to gain, but, um, you know, as far as, as far as employee morale goes, and as far as, you know, prospective people, um, to, to join the, join the Alpha Towery program, I don't know why anybody would want to, uh, when they get talked to like that. Um, you know, saw the, uh, the comments from, uh, newly appointed, uh, head of the head of Ferrari, uh, Frederick Vasseur, uh, basically throwing his team under the bus when he said, when, when he was asked about the problems that, that Ferrari was having. And he said, well, the one thing I know it isn't is management, um, meaning that, you know, it's, it's within their, their team, um, you know, very, very discouraging, um, you know, Lewis, um, he lost, or I shouldn't say lost. He parted company with his longtime uh, assistant and personal trainer, Angela Cullen. Um, there's a little speculation as to what's going on with that, but I'm, I, 
you know, I work really closely with, uh, with Alex Tagliani. I would be kind of considered his assistant, um, in, in a race setting, uh, not too sure. I mean, Alex would definitely go on without me. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a, a highly regarded professional who knows what he's doing, but, uh, really going to be curious to see how Lewis responds after, uh, after that, that partnership, um, ended i mean uh, again he's uh, the number one all-time winning uh driver um you know uh, will will arguably win again and um you know uh, look for good things uh lots of mess in uh, professional nascar um you know hendrick getting uh four hundred thousand dollars in fines uh 400 points you know championship points playoff points crew chief suspended all over uh, parts that were supposed to be spec parts did did Hendrix modify them or did they arrive uh, out of spec um, this is probably a good topic if we bring in uh, Mr. Jackson here Larry how are you man good how are you and it is another day in paradise out here in Alberta it's uh, you know we had a nice sunshiny day again plus seven nice. um, and we get to talk a little bit about racing awesome yeah it's yeah. always uh, I think both our favorite topics uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's other topics, but uh, obviously spend a little bit of time here. Have you followed any of this Hendrick stuff? I have not. I was listening to you and hoping to get uh, updated with uh, what's going on. So read a comment last week from, from Chad Knaus, who's the VP of competition at Hendrick now. He was obviously Jimmy Johnson's crew chief for all seven of Jimmy's um, championships. But he said, you know, the, the penalty came uh, from uh their their engine louvers so the the louvers now are a spec part there's a sole source um manufacturer and what he alluded to was that um there had been a number of conversations behind the scenes you know as as teams do with nascar saying hey listen we we're getting these things and they're not to spec and they're maybe a little messy are we allowed to clean these things up do we have to put them on the way they are can we return them but you know, there's, there's a shortage of supply and, uh, you know, NASCAR in one breath, um, again, according to, to Chad said, you know, one thing, and then they said another, and he said that there's a lot of conflicting information, but one thing that never happens is the supplier never receives the penalty. It's always the team. What was really shocking from this is that the, the penalty was the result of a voluntary inspection. So this was before practice, before, qualifying before anything they just said hey let's go through this and make sure that we're okay and that is what nascar based this this massive you know kind of record-setting penalty you know what uh what what do you think i mean we we see that kind of stuff on a regular weekend i mean you're a pinty series competitor i i hang around with pinty series teams um you know we have those situations where we'll grab an official and say hey come and take a look at this i mean i think everyone does that um but kind of shocking very. Uh, I'd be scared to take my car through a voluntary inspection right now. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, slightly different, uh, sl- slightly different uh, grading curve in the uh, the NASCAR Pinty series versus uh, the sure. Cup series. But um, yeah, I mean, just really, really surprising to me that 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 kind of penalty can be levied over something that's you know essentially I don't want to say it's trivial, but mm-hmm. where you know it's not like they were trying to sneak something through to see if they could get it because while they're, while these louvers were, were confiscated, 
they had to put, you know, obviously uh, conforming. And that was the weekend that, um, oh, geez, now I'm drawing a blank. But, um, you know, they dominated that weekend. Yeah. Is that Bowman? Bowman win that weekend? Or? Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Why, uh, not Bowman, the other one. It wasn't Larson. It wasn't Bowman. Uh, obviously, it wasn't Chase Elliott because he has the broken leg. Um, <laughs> That's terrible, eh? Oh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, uh, <laughs> fortunately, this isn't the world's most <laughs> heavily watched podcast, so I'm not going to see a lot of, uh, I'm not going to get a lot of people chirping, but um, yeah. I can see his face. It doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, really, really, um, you know, again, to me, I think NASCAR is in a bit of a, they're in a really bad state because it wasn't, um it wasn't just that, but then did you see the, um, the, the, the Xfinity race fallout from last weekend? I, I did. Yeah. 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 Where, uh, you know, Williams parked his car, like, you know, had some, had some incidental damage from a, from a wreck that wasn't his, uh, taped a bunch of body parts on, they came off and NASCAR said, that's it. You're done for the night. And he chose to park his car on the, the start finish line. I think it was a brilliant move for his, for him and his marketing and his, uh, his brand, but yeah, he gets to miss a race, but I think it was well worth it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, you know, it's got people talking it's, you know, and, and he's obviously got huge support, um, you know, uh, from, from the fans, but you know, these things kind of, they, they just seem to keep happening to NASCAR. And, you know, I think at some point they're going to have to take a look and say, you know, we, we got to do something different. <laughs> well, it's worked for so many years, but yeah, there's some definitely some speed bumps in the road right now. But things have changed so much. I mean, at one point, NASCAR was was the second most watched sport in America behind college football. And, you know, I don't know where it sits now. But anyway, instead of this being the shit on NASCAR show. <laughs> um, I'm getting trouble well, I mean, I'm likely going to get in trouble for something eventually. That's kind of the story of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, for people who don't know, uh, let's let's talk a little bit. Obviously, we've introduced you as a race car driver, but uh, let's talk about Larry Jackson and Larry Jackson Motorsports a little bit. I am a driver slash owner uh, in the NASCAR PT Series here in Canada, which drives or races across the country from your your hometown and uh all the way over to um eastbound speedway in newfoundland so we go from road course dirt um street uh ovals you name it we do it all 14 races head down work hard and uh get her done is the way we work at this little team so yeah that's great not so little anymore i think we got six cars (laughs) a couple a bunch of really now and oh my goodness yeah trying to purchase another motor as we speak, um, yeah. I can sell you the one out of my two seater, but I don't know that it'll pass tech. <laughs> well, I need one. I don't want one of those fines. I can't afford. I'll be like Josh Williams there. Uh, go ahead and find me. I'm not gonna. I can't afford it though. Isn't that what he said? <clears throat> yeah, I, I didn't read that, but um, you know, the, I, I was picturing you know because obviously our our uh, our old friend is uh, you know one of the big wigs now in the Cup Series, and again, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I just saw him the other day, and now I'm drawing an absolute blank. Um, Brad Moran. Brad Moran, thank you. And um, I'm just thinking about the level of conversation that was had there, where NASCAR sent him to the uh, sent him to the hauler and made him wait until the end of the race until the officials were like. 
you know, there were pictures, I don't know if you saw them, pictures of him sitting in the hauler, but, you know, through the glass door and, you know, people are taking pictures of him where he was really in jail. Yeah, NASCAR jail. Wow. Yeah. I guess they want him talking to the media. It was such a, a weird punishment for, you know, parking him for some Barabon falling off. It's uh, unfortunate. Well, in that, if that was a conventional race, that's the right penalty. But in that race where it was practically freezing, where the bear bond didn't stick, I think there's there's an exemption where you've got to take a look and say, okay, listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna black flag you, but get in, get some heat on this stuff, get it fixed, and then you can come back out. Yeah, you're gonna lose a couple laps, but you can finish. Um, but you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty too. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, but let's um, we'll get back to our world of, uh, of Pinties because, you know, I don't think people really fully realize the 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 difference in scope. I mean, you know, while I'm going to fully acknowledge we've got a really good program. I mean, our car comes out of Stackley shop, Scott Stackley, uh, Milverton, Ontario, and it is really have you been to Scott's shop? I have. Yeah. Beautiful facility, you know, multi-car bay you know, nice epoxy floors, lifts, and all that stuff. I'm going to throw up a picture here now. And this isn't, I don't mean this to be like a, a you know, <laughs> this isn't a, a disrespectful thing, but here, here is, you know, one of your cars in one of your shops. Yes. What, what's going on here? Uh, this is the car we were putting together for Aaron Turkey last year in the dirt. Gotcha, uh, it's yeah. an old Anthony Simone oval car. Not old. It was one of, it was his primary car until he decided to, uh, leave the sport. I purchased a, a bunch of equipment from Anthony and, and CBRT, and uh, it uh, yeah, it's a really really nice piece. It's nice and light. It has a lot of lead in it. It, uh, it was set fast time on the dirt, and uh, it's uh, a car that can actually be used for uh, road as well. So we might get that one. That's a really good piece. We're gonna probably get ready for the road course as well. So just as an aside, you know, we all spend a lot of time marketing, thinking about ways we can attract attention. Anthony Simone. Missed opportunity. Why doesn't he go by Tony Simone? Like that's the great, that could be the greatest racing name in, in the Pinty series. Oh, I don't know. He, they, that boy has so much talent. If we could just haul him back a little bit. Yeah. That man runs a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Well, him back now, 90% and he, he do so well. Now he's, now he's focused on Rocco and, you know, everything I see is about the, the karting career and, you know, they're, they're doing quite well. I mean, that kid's going to be, that kid's going to be good. Um, here's another, uh, another shop picture here. You know, as you can see, this is, this is not, uh, you know, a 60,000 square foot facility. It is not, it's, uh, 2,200 square feet. Uh, the front half is actually, uh, B squared decals. Uh, he's, and then where that car is in the background, I had to move it forward, uh, about 18 feet because the final graphic final wrap, uh, business is in the front there now. So it's, uh, we're at tight quarters. We have a, another yeah. shop for storage and we have cars at buddies places and it's, uh, it's time to, I have a, I have my own shop, but I, I rent it out. So, <laughs> well, at least it's a bit of money, right? Yeah. So it's time to, I'm looking at purchasing another shop, uh, just waiting for the gentleman to come up with a price. And, and then in turn, I, we bought a house for my daughter. So it's a uh, bad timing this year. And we're looking at the tractor trailer and we're looking at motors and you name it. And we're looking at it and hopefully, uh, hopefully, 
survive this year, which I think we will. We'll do quite well, I think. One of my father-in-law's first lessons to me about racing is the best way to make a small fortune is to start with a large one and then get into a race team. Yeah, see, I'm doing it the wrong way. I'm starting from the bottom, collecting <laughs> all this stuff, working my tail off, which we, we've built a nice little team. We've really been hammered down for the last three years. Well, yep. we, bought, we bought some spec motors and we're up to four spec motors. Uh, we should have spec motor number five coming soon, hopefully. Uh, trying to find some transmissions. They're, they're, they're like finding a diamond in a rough, those things right now. Um, unless you want to purchase a new one and it's uh, not cost effective right now for this team. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you're obviously a budget racer. I mean, we don't need to, you know, uh, hide from that, but you do so much with so little. Correct. Like you guys, you know, if, if people have never been to a Pinty's race, or if you have been to a Pinty's race, it's, you know, fully the, the paddock, the garage is fully accessible. We call it a garage. There's no garage. It's, it's yeah. our, you know, we have tractor trailers and big haulers. And then there's a guy like you who shows up to the track with a pickup truck and, you know, a car hauler. That's true. And you get to do the same job as all of us. And you'll, you know, unless something breaks on your car, you know, two things are usually guaranteed. You're probably not going to win the race, or you're yeah. not going to finish last. Correct. Third yep. thing, because I know you fairly well, you're also not going to hit anything. <laughs> that's it's the game. You can't get uh, higher up that mountain if you keep falling off of it. So, we, well, uh, yeah. And it, it's funny. I'm getting so cheap in my old age. Even rubbing wheels with somebody, riffing wrap, the wrap off the car, that's dollar signs down, <laughs> down, the, uh, down the toilet. So it, It's dollar signs, but it's also what? Like three hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, my other half, she's amazing. Um, but you still got to come home for dinner once in a while and, yep. and do the house chores. And, and yeah, so still, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not going to try and pivot off of Wendy, but when I, I like, I want people to try and understand and, and to get a better feeling for what, what goes on. Um, I'm mechanically stupid. I've never, never hidden from that. And and the setups of the cars and what goes on is often a mystery because I basically do what I'm doing now. I look at racing and I talk about it to my driver. That's kind of the, the extent of my involvement, but you know, you guys work on these things all year long, like from a fan standpoint and from, you know, a, a, a non-educated observer standpoint, we figure the car gets parked at the end of the year you probably change the oil, you might clean it up, do a little bit of repair, and it should basically be ready to go. But that's not the case. I mean, you know, I get texts from you from time to time, you know, over the winter, and it's like, yeah, another shop night. It's it's minus 35 outside. It's 10 o'clock at night in Ontario, and you guys are grinding away on on the car. Yeah. yeah. I got lots of help at the racetrack. There's a gentleman, Dave Stevens, and myself at the shop, usually daily. Um yeah, if I'm not working at the fire department, I head down to the shop for about nine o'clock every morning and we try and work till five to six or five or six and and put in a solid day's work. Um, today we built, I, I cut apart some old um, upper control arms that were useless to the high dollar teams and I made three beautiful uh, left front uh, upper control arms, you know, and we need, I need spares. I didn't have spares for last year, so 
took everything apart, made three new ones, and saved myself probably three fifty a control arm. So saved my, made a thousand dollars today by doing taking some old junk off the shelf and rewelding and painting and and it's and it's exactly the same as a brand new one. It's uh, new bearings, new new bolts, and straight, it's all straight and just welded to what I want. And that's what the, that's what we do, you know. The, everybody's got those trick left front spindles on these cars and it's no secret now because i was the last one to find out and you know like they're not trick we're You're not the last i this is the first i've heard of it so oh, you know you might have to know what a spindle is to me but uh you know yeah everybody's got modified left front spindles and it's actually worth a tenth on the track so we, we uh made a bunch of spares and all our cars have them now all the oval cars have them but you go to um a race shop and somebody that does it for a living, they got to pay for the lights and they're, they're building, they're charging a lot or somewhere thousand eleven hundred dollars for a spindle. And that's the cost of things nowadays. So yeah, I whip one of those up in a day and yeah, or a couple but of them, you, hopefully. That's but, you still, but you know, even though, well, that's money saved. So that's actually money earned, but that money won't turn into practice tires. No, no, this team will not have practice tires yet. <laughs> We're getting there. Mike O'Neill, I, I give him, I give him our uh, what it costs to run our team, and he was pleasantly surprised. And uh, he he sponsors us for the Ontario races, um, and he treats me like family, and he's just amazing. And we've what we've built in the last three years with him, his help has been amazing. And you know, he'd love to do it at a much bigger scale. He just he just can't see the return yet. Um, but he, his business is, is booming and, and, uh, the staff and the family and the vendors and everybody's loving it. we had that event at CTMP this year that had 460 people there and it was a massive spread. And what he spent that day on the, on the tent <laughs> is what he sponsors me for. You, you, for saw year. Few, you saw a few practice sets of tires there. Hey, I did. And I explained him what practice tires does. Like you, you know, we guess with our setups and we're, we're pretty close, but we're still, can't hang out with you guys. You guys are, you know, probably two to three tenths faster. And that's just uh, more practice. And you can't practice on used tires. You, you, you can guess that you want that 550 or 600 right rear spring, but uh, you know, it might need a 675 or a 575 or a 475. Like it might be just in between that and you can get that with new tires. And I'm like, okay, I think it needs this. And, you know, in the halfway break, we always come to life because it's like, okay, the car needs this, this, and this, because we have brand new tires on and, if we could survive to halfway, we're usually pretty good. Now you mentioned um, your, your sponsor's personal name, but you didn't really mention the company name. Oh, uh, where did we got here? Oh, wrong side. You gotta love computers. <laughs> uh, O'Neill electric supply. Uh, they have three locations here in Ontario. Um, it was a cold call three years ago to the company when during COVID and they had some um, extra marketing dollars that they didn't mind spending on something different. And uh yeah, they took some money out of their golf trips that they usually do and they couldn't do during COVID times and the racing just fit right into that little repertoire and uh, their, their back staff and their warehouse people, they, uh, they really, really enjoyed it. Just hit a, um, it hit just another uh, group of people in their company that didn't That's golf. Great. Or, yeah. So, and I actually don't know, I'm not, I'm not asking this to set you up, but I don't know. Are they like uh, equipment wholesalers? Do they do like electrical installations? Like, are they contractors? What, what do they do? They bring all the vendors in and they're mass distributor, big, huge warehouses of uh, electrical supply equipment. 
Gotcha. Anywhere from Generac generators, Milwaukee, or, um, Milwaukee tools, um, wire connectors, yeah. uh, light switches, light boxes, you, um, solar lights, uh, all kinds of other electrical yep. tools. And it's, it's crazy, but they have everything. Yeah. Supplier. So that, uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. you know, uh, good to know, especially when we're out there or for anyone in Ontario that needs electrical supplies. I can hook um, you up with a deal. We go, yeah, go find the, the friendliest guy in, in NASCAR, Larry Jackson, and he'll, he'll take a care of you. Uh, Hey, we got our first comment. This is kind of exciting. Are you ready? Oh no. This is a big one. <laughs> I knew it was her. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so a little bit of history, obviously I'm, I'm, uh, you know, tags full-time spotter here, but you're actually largely responsible for that. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? I do. I do. So there was a period of time where I'd kind of gone away from, from racing and, um, then you had tricked me into coming back because, uh, you know, doing the West, I mean, and obviously this is a bottom of the barrel kind of comment, but you were coming out West and you needed, you needed some help with a spotter. And we're curious if, if I'd be interested in coming out to the track, which, uh, led to, you know, I think this is still, I look like a bit of a monkey here, but uh, <laughs> Great pick. getting, uh, getting the, uh, the CBRT colors. Cause, uh, you know, working with you guys and spotting for you out there, but yeah, mm-hmm. probably the most fun guy, you know, not just to hang out with. But, um, you know, to spot for, for sure, because, you know, um, I don't know if you can do an accurate uh, uh, representation of, of what goes on on the radio. But, uh, you know, <laughs> un- until somebody starts knocking you around, it doesn't get uh, it doesn't get too serious on the radio. No, not at all. I, I do this um, for love and, and fun. Uh, I think I'm right at the end of my career. Uh, bouncing off the retirement thing and uh, maybe car owner and oh yeah I knew that was coming up too (laughs) come on we need to make a calendar out of this this is uh, this was this was this was Watasco in a couple years ago yeah yeah um what's really fun is that your spotter Phil and I normally stand pretty close together and you know you're you know again you're you're running laps you're not really pushing to the front and i remember a couple of years ago we were in saskatoon and you know we had a terrible qualifying and you would talk to phil say hey listen i'm not going to hold the guys up and green flag falls and we we're about 10 laps in and phil comes over he's like larry's wondering why you guys haven't passed us yet and like we can't we're this is what we got right now so yeah that was you know, while it was disappointing for me to see, you know, Alex struggling, you know, there was still a part of me that was like, come on, man, keep digging. I was still yeah. cheering for my buddy. Oh, yeah. There's times we uh, have some shining, you know, something's shining there, but yeah. Come on. No, that's, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm not sure what car that was. That was the, uh, that was, uh, I want to say it was the 25, but it, I don't know if it was a 25. Wow. That's uh Yeah. That's terrible. Good hey, times. Yeah. I like anything that can put a smile on the face, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So let's see here. 2021 Sportsmanship Award. Yeah, yeah. NASCAR. Yeah, we got we've got that, I think, three times with NASCAR now. Um, if somebody needs Larry to do something like drive a car, or start a park, you need a part, or you need something welded, 
Alex LeBay. I think that time we're out seeing you that year, I changed Alex LeBay's motor for him. Alex LeBay is yeah. a hell of a wheel man, but well, and that's that's how I got his hands dirty, right? So that's how I got roped into being your spotter the first time at Saint Nastache. Is that because you only had a small crew? You you made it there, but you had enough hands to keep the car physically running, but you yeah. didn't have anyone else to put a headset on. And, and Sean Gibbs, who was the, the flag man and, and an official at the time came into our, um, into our hauler and said, Hey, can you spot for Larry Jackson? I'm like, who's Larry Jackson. Who's, who's that? that? He's like, Oh, he's you know, a really great guy. I'm like, geez, I don't, I've never met the guy. I don't know. He's like, no, he has to have a spotter. If you if, like, if we can't get him a spotter, he can't run. It's like, okay. I wasn't really doing anything anyway, besides, you know, getting in my guy's way yeah. and then way we went yeah we, i think we had a pretty good time that time i don't i don't think we did talk anything about racing i think we just chatted and laughed and on hooted and yeah it was so much fun yeah well at the risk of violating um the uh, driver spotter relationship and what could have been a private conversation <laughs> um I, I think it started when we were doing parade laps and um you <laughs> said something to the extent like hey spotter you got a drink up there I'm like yeah i got a bottle of water why like, no, no, no. Are you drinking up there? Like, no, why? He's like, I'm drinking in here. Let's get this thing going. Party started. I knew, I knew I was, uh, I knew I was in, in a good company at that point. Yeah. When we went racing back then, it was all in our dime, our own car. I'm pretty sure. I, I can't remember if it was Joey's car or our car. No, that and was I yours. Take, I just take uh, two guys with me because it's the minimum requirements that NASCAR allows. And I think maybe one of the guys was sick, I think, that day. They, the spotter and the spotter he, he he's never he's only been to nascar races and he knew nothing about racing and i handed him a, a headset it's mandatory for uh us to have a spotter but i raced my whole life 30 many 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 years i'm not even sure how many 35 years i think it is now oh my god um fast, so, it's not so bad and being on little tracks like that i'm, I'm really aware of what's going on around me and i don't really don't need uh, uh a spotter in my ear really you know, for years we raced cars with no spotters for decades. So a spotter's a luxury, but not necessary in in my eyeballs. So nowadays, though, with Hans devices and all the rest, you can't you can't know when someone's on your outside. You can't know when someone's at your right rear quarter right. if you're trying I to drive off the corner. You're right. It, the racing's so close nowadays that they, you know, before you could kind of you can kind of hear them and and. You'd never hang out there either. Like it was more respectful, I think, back then as well. I think that's going on in NASCAR. Like if you're hanging on somebody's right rear quarter and they're coming off the corner, you you would back up a bit and instead of turning them. Uh, where nowadays people just leave their nose in there and they, they wreck themselves. And well, and that's what uh, Kyle Bush said that last week. He's like, "There's no respect in NASCAR anymore." Like we used to have these gentlemen's agreements and we had these understandings that you know, certain things happen certain ways and, you know, that's the way it was, but now it's like, you know. Yeah. But why? Like I, I just, for some reason, I just, I knew I was coming on here and I, I just remember when tag one sunset and I ran third to him and, and I, I was just looking for that picture and I can't, I, oh, really? for some reason I can't find it. Sorry about yeah, that. No worries. Um, and the two, like who was it? Uh, Caden and him were just beating on each other and it was respectful racing, but if you had that same race, eight years later or five years i have no idea how long ago it was but now the guys are driving through each other and yeah. not just not tap them out of the way move them up a lane and give them a shot on the outside of you they're hitting them so hard like at sunset they're moving guys up three lanes and they don't have a shot to get back at the next corner or or there's no 
there's no bump and runs. There's it just drives through the guy and yeah, and a track like Sunset is is a proper multi groove track. Mm-hmm. You can run side by side. I mean, Alex and Andrew run side by side at Chaudière, run side by side at Sunset for you know, 40, 50 laps in a row without, you know, any problem. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, but my opinion, I'm not going to, you know, this is a little soapbox time. The fact is, you know, until NASCAR penalizes, and I don't care if it's at our level or the top level, until they start penalizing bad driving, it's going to keep happening. You can't expect drivers to police the series. Bring out the black flag. 100%. Like, like, back to our roots, right? Like, if I, if I, in this, like, I went back late model racing, I don't know, about four or five years ago. And Christ, one race, I got the black flag three times. It just, the guys I was racing with, I was just driving a little harder than they were. And as you go in the corner, you just touch them and they lose control. And you're like, I, the guy just didn't have experience. And I'm like, okay, didn't, sorry about that one. You drive through the field again. You just touch somebody by accident again to the back. Yeah, I went to the back like three or four times that one race. Well deserved. Like, I should know the competitive people I'm racing with, but uh, don't touch them. Yeah. And, but did you learn from it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess we don't need the black flag. No, yeah, right. But I, I, I think I do it with experience. I, I, I just touch them and they, well, I guess, yeah, you know, they spun out. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we've seen some pretty hard hits lately, yeah. you know, um, you know, uh, I was going to go down a different road that I'll, I'll save for another time, but um yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer that NASCAR as the officials need to punish these things. They they need to be the ones to say like this is acceptable driving, this is unacceptable. I mean, you know, we hear about pay drivers in professional, you know, levels, which I guess technically we are professional, but like at the top levels of cup, IndyCar, F1, there are pay drivers, people who wouldn't necessarily be brought in on merit, but because yeah. they have a budget, they get there. We're all pay drivers in the Pinty series. Like I don't care if you're talking about, you know, Alex or DJ or, you know, anybody, we all have to pay our way to get there. You know, yes, we get some sponsorship along the way, but without that, nobody's racing. We can't afford, nobody can afford to fix cars every week. Like I don't care who you are, you know, um, we just, and it doesn't, it hurts the show so much when, when there's that level of contact. I mean, you know, I mean, we had, we had two cars pretty much written off this year, you know, uh, with Tasquin and then at, uh, at Delaware there, you know, because of, you know, uh, with Tasquin, uh, without, you know, having the other parties here, I'm not going to get involved into a one, one way discussion, but you know, two cars got involved and we got the the worst of it at Delaware. We had nothing to do with the, the front. And, you know, that was probably the scariest moment I've had as a, as a spotter, you know, being at the track, because we didn't know if Alex was okay for an awful long time there. That was a, that was a bad hit. Yep. Yeah. And that car, I'm not sure if you guys saved that car or that car got written off, but uh, I actually don't know. I should probably yeah. stay in better contact with Scott, but yeah, it's, 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 I don't know how many cars were destroyed there, but many, like, and not, not little hits. Like I assume it needed to frame rails and pray. Um, it, a lot of things. I never like, found out. Like, complete body interior. Yeah. No, it was there. I, again, if, if I had thought of it, I've got a picture of the pile of fiberglass that we left by one of the garbage cans. Um, When, when I pulled back, like when I finally was able to, you know, clear the track back to the infield, I saw that there. And by the end of the night, it was gone because the fans, you know, come in and they just grab whatever scrap of, of anything. Um, Question. I always ask everyone. um, Nothing you can really prep for. What's something about racing 
that you want people to know that you don't think they already know? Wow. That they don't know. You know, aside from the fact that, I mean, you do get to eat caviar at every meal, you fly on private planes everywhere. Like it's, it's pretty glorious and glamorous, but what, what's something that people wouldn't normally know? You know, it's a great topic um, to get kids gathered around. We had, we had a young kid at the shop today. He's going through a really, really tough time. And his mom asked him to come by and he's a car guy. Um, asked him to come by and, and just out of his norm to come he's tearing decals off, off the hood today of a car. And, and I showed him an hour on how clutches work and how the rear ends work. And it's it just, I'd never have that opportunity if I didn't have racing. Yeah. Um, just, just something for just something different for some people that need it. It's uh, you know, it's like Josh Williams. He goes to the hospitals all the time for, that people have no no idea about right and, and yeah it gives back and gives back quietly yeah. and, and silently and you know well, we never I, have that <clears throat> be able to do that without this not I, to argue with your point but within your civilian life you also have a lot of interaction with people so you want to tell I, people about that yes i am a captain for the mississauga fire department i have been working for the fire department for 23 or 24 years i think 24 years complete next next week actually and uh, i do a lot of that i lot of give back to the community we do a ton with kids and and hospitals and and i, I love doing that it, it's yeah which i think that's probably a shocking thing to you know casual observers or, or people who've never thought about it is that the overwhelming majority of our drivers and i can't think of one that doesn't have a real job like a full-time something mm -hmm. outside of racing and Maybe you, you can think of someone, but you know, even, you know, uh, tag, you know, he runs his karting center. We've got a karting team, you know, there's a million things on the go outside of, you know, conventional race car stuff, you know, DJ works for, for, uh, uh what is it? St. Thomas, the, the town as a, you know, as an employee, you know, um, everyone's got a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. Yeah, this our passion is really, really expensive. <laughs> well, that's what I, I I loved racing so much. I need to find a job with part time hours, like the fire department. I, you know, if any kids are listening on here, it's the greatest job in the world. You work seven twenty four hour shifts in a twenty eight day rotation, still forty two hours a week, but uh, it gives me ample time to go play with my my race cars and 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 build and tinker and. It's my PTSD relief when I go to that shop. It's my it's my my comfort zone or my favorite place to be is, is tinkering in my shop. So yeah, it makes me feel good. Yeah, I just smile thinking about it. That's awesome. Yeah. What anyway. one of these days I'll get to your shop. Have you not been there? <clears throat> oh man. Yeah, there's definitely a a cocktail in the refrigerator with your name on it. So is that so? Yes, it's, I've uh, been known. I've been known to partake of uh, an adult beverage from time to time. Yeah, once the work's all done, ten o'clock at night, you should go. Yeah, you know, they, or Sunday afternoons when the boys are all done at five o'clock. Usually, the guys show up uh, through the wintertime on, on Sundays, and we have you know a celebratory beer. You know, so. Well, until I can get there, um, you know, whenever my motorhome's at the track, you know that there's a cocktail with your name on it too. So it's funny. We're just this racing's getting to be like too much work. We can't enjoy it much fun anymore <laughs> by the time we're done at, at like i remember delaware delaware we wanted to have a, a cocktail afterwards and just everybody just loaded up and went home and 
and uh, all tuckered out. But uh, yeah, that's what yeah. the we need to get the banquet back. Well, it's not trying to get the banquet back. It's there. It's just you know a matter of trying to to you know get away and and uh, do that. I mean, that was always a good time. But those yeah. those are the kinds of stories that we can't necessarily share on the podcast. Correct. Correct. Yeah, definitely. It's where we let loose, really, and, and my team did anyway. So. Okay, yeah. so before we finish up here, want to make sure people know um, you're back for the 23 season. Correct. We should be doing the full season. Awesome. Still, you know, like usual, we're looking for some sponsorship out uh, west. We got uh, the east covered with Dooley's Trucking and Barry and Kay. They're gracious and uh, going to take care of us down east. Um, and with NASCAR helping out with all the ferry and all that, it looks like it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, we're heading out there first thing Friday morning, and then uh, the rest of the Ontario is taken care of by Mike O'Neill. And then we got um, E3 spark plugs. We got uh, Visit Barbados. We got eBay Motors. We got a whole bunch of well, that's a good, good Rocks primary sponsors. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some in Quebec and, and elsewhere. So, yeah, we've got a bunch of irons in the fire still. Wendy's working on I got Wendy working on a couple of deals as well. So, uh, if I, might, if I've might. got my choice of doing a deal with you or getting to, to chat with Wendy, I think you know which way I'm going to go. Oh. Okay, when you're chatting with Wendy, make a deal for the race car. Yeah, but no uh, we, we secretly we might even have a Ricky Bobby car come out for something. We're is working, that right? We're working on something with uh, Wendy's old old marketing friends with at the Wonder Bread place, but it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. So don't worry, nobody's watching. So it's <laughs> it's just you and me here. It's fine, and yeah. nobody uh, no nobody uh, nobody will watch the broadcast the the rebroadcast either. Yeah, it's like it's so much work. And you know what? Thank God for I got a marketing partner and I got Wendy and I got my boys and the, my my older brother Chuck Barton with uh, B Squared. He like is always somebody's designing cars and designing t-shirts and just doing so much work. It used to be fun just driving around the back, having a beer afterwards and finish a couple laps down. You want to finish on the lead lap with these guys, you have to spend a lot of money, work your tail off and have kind of the same fun <laughs> yeah but let's let's see um let's see if positive mike uh telling me that i need to stock the motorhome i mean we could always do a positive mike sponsorship you know mike we we know mike quite well he's out here in in western canada you know you couldn't uh, you know from my standpoint obviously you know we're friends i know you quite well yeah. um we're competitors so yeah. you know that being said um you know for anyone watching you know, if you are a prospective sponsor, you will not line up with a nicer, you know, harder working, you know, more uh, grassroots, just genuine, great guy than Larry Jackson. So there you go. And you got that recorded now for the rest of your life. Woohoo! Well, yeah. And then, you know that the buck 50 will get you a cup of coffee, Larry. Exactly. We don't need tires. Well, the car can run on beer. If we can run on good intentions, you're going to be just fine. We'll be fine. You know, this can be a great year. We got, we got, enough money to to survive um it's gonna be fun we got working our tails off being prepared for you know crashes are gonna come spare parts spare motors um yes our rental i got some rental irons in the fire too like it's gonna just a couple couple cars i'm not sure which one i want (laughs) the rental guy might get a really really good car um yeah that's awesome good year Okay, well, looking forward to seeing you at the track. Thank you so much, obviously, for giving us the time here. Hopefully, we get you back uh, later on in the season. We'll maybe get an update from you as to how things are going and share that with, uh, with everyone. It's going to be going awesome.
<laughs> I, I know. I can't wait. We'll see you at, uh, at sunset here in a couple of weeks. Definitely, buddy. Thank you. Hey, man. Take care. See you guys. Bye. Wow. Man, love that guy. Larry Jackson. What a beauty. Um, because our next, uh, our next friend here is actually in studio. I have to figure out how to do that. Um, here we go. You can see he's donning his, oh, where he's not live yet. But I've got people waving at me here. Bye, Perry. Sorry you didn't want to say anything to the people. Now we welcome... MFM Tools Division of Mikasu, Mr. Mike Wagner. Oh, hold on, Mike. I got to turn you on. How about we try that? Hi, Colin. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, the big show. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than than Larry <laughs> Jackson, and it's too bad you weren't able to kind of see what was going on. I need to find a way to get onto this big TV. That's what I- so that you can, you know, kind of juggle that around a little bit and, and get the other side. You know, I, I could have had the audio blasting, but then you get a bit of feedback and it doesn't sound great. So unfortunately, uh, you only got the unimportant part of the conversation. <laughs> um, so you guys just drove down today from your home base. Where are yes. you guys from? Uh, Fort McMurray, Alberta. So we've been up there. She's doing tool repair since uh, the early 2000s. And yeah came down to be on your podcast and take a walk through this amazing shop you have yeah we need to do a little update um you know i was up to see you guys a couple weeks ago and now this is the the end of the home and home um to kind of take a look at all the the new stuff uh for again for people who don't know i mean i imagine that the overwhelming majority of people who'll be watching have no idea so tell me a little bit about mfm tools well, MFM Tools is a conglomerate of Mikasu's group of companies. It's wholly owned. Um, we incorporated Guthrie Tool Repair in the early 2000s, and we've been knocking it out of the park ever since. Uh, we're doing tool repairs on anything hydraulic, pneumatic. We are the Keto, CanTorque, Rad, um, VMAC, Lincoln, and Miller Repair Depots for the Northern Alberta region. And... Uh, yeah, we've just we're on all major sites. We have tool runners, tool repairs. We uh, believe in keeping things local. Yeah, that's awesome. Now you said you're a wholly owned subsidiary. Your parent group is the Mikasu Group, which is a it's what what's their position in in Fort McMurray and like kind of oh. who who they are. The Mikasu Group comes from Fort Chippewan. It's a uh, woodland prairie uh, nation so we are an indigenous group uh wholly owned businesses and joint ventures yep um branching across every major aspect of the oil sands and even flights and uh hotels uh we are a subsidiary of that and we concentrate solely on tooling so uh, and we appreciate that <laughs> now we've been working together for i mean i'm gonna say about three years yes give or take i remember i mean i started um you know the the negotiation started a long time ago when uh you guys were still guthrie and and uh, the gentleman that just left my office he was up there calling on him for quite some time and then the ownership changed and i remember getting contacted by by dan yes and you know didn't really think anything of it. Dan's a Dan's a big deal now. He's huge. Now, what's his technical title? Uh, CEO, I believe. 
Wow. He's, he's up there. He's the top of the top. Yeah. He's across all industries. Great guy. If you ever have a chance to talk Oof. to him, very comfortable and uh, knows a little bit of every industry. I don't know how the man's that intelligent. He's just by far do it, do it long enough, you know, and, and, you know, you have a bit of common sense and you have a little bit of intelligence. It's incredible what you can turn it into. When I talk to him, I'm a sponge. Yeah. He's one of the guys you spend more time listening to when when you get the chance. So then we get things kind of rolling with Dan and all of a sudden he's like, Hey, listen, you're not going to be dealing with us so much anymore. Now you're going to be talking to this new guy, Jeff. (laughs) So then Jeff comes in and tell us about Jeff. Jeff is a VP. He's uh, an amazing guy. He taught me everything I know about BD, about uh, business development, uh, social interactions, social media. Um, just he, he knows the industry from a business standpoint. He knows how to grow very quickly, but not so quickly that you're doing it incorrectly. You're doing steps incorrectly. He's very knowledgeable. And <clears throat> he's just, he comes from a background of being on the tools he's learned through the ropes through the rankings and he's always looking for the next big thing yeah i don't think i mean i know jeff personally you know aside from from you know what we do within the the businesses but i don't think i've ever had a conversation with him that there wasn't a topic that he couldn't talk about exactly and it's not like he's bullshitting his way through it he honestly intelligently knew about all the things we were talking about and if he didn't if it was something that i specialize in he was always an active, you know, uh, a participant and would ask really thoughtful questions. Yep. And always first of all, and that's a great aspect to have at the top tier of your company. Yep. Is they're, they're very personable. You can reach out to them at any time. And yeah, it's all about learning. And this company day to day, I've never not learned something new. And that's well, hard to find. One of my yeah. fundamental beliefs is, you know, and I, I stole this from a movie, but selling ain't telling. Okay. Yeah, you know, these kinds of people, I mean, you and I've made sales calls and I see the way that you do things. I've known salesmen who their, their approach is always to bang off a bunch of statistics, you know, with, with regard to torque wrenches, you know, I've got a 27 degree stroke and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've got 360 degree swivels and we've got a, this kind of drive and we got a, this and a, that. And if you ask a question in the middle, they can't resume where they were. They can't actually go to that. They've got to go through this checklist where to me, the, the pinnacle of sales or the, the, the ultimate is to start by asking questions. Exactly. I take the uh, silent Bob approach Um, clerks. um, I don't speak very often. I listen. And then when I do, it's magic. It's just people listen. They take it in. They it's, it's always a solution from the issues that they were portraying throughout their whole conversation. Yep. And like you said, if you interrupt that train of thought's gone, you only get half the solution. Well, and these are some of the people that you're going to come across on a regular basis when, you know, Fort McMurray, I mean, for people who don't know is probably, you know, alongside the Gulf, you know, the, the Gulf coast around Houston, Louisiana, Fort McMurray is one of the highest, you know, the, probably one of the most coveted markets and probably one of the most competitive places on the planet. Like it's not, you know, I know a lot of our competitor competitor companies who have set up shop there. And the mindset is, well, we're going to open our doors. We're going to put our sign on. And then people are going to start marching through the front door. It's, it's a whole background workings. If you haven't been up there for years, if you don't know somebody that's been up there for years, likelihood are, is you're not going to break through. 
it's it's the toughest place I've ever had to do sell or selling <clears throat> and or sales. And it's it's the most fun. Because once you get your foot in the door and once you have that knowledge base and that network, it just grows by leaps and bounds. If you save one person's ass, it just keeps going. And that yep. person talks to this person and he's no longer at this site, he's at another site. It's one of the world's largest oil sands or oil producers. It's, it's amazing up there. It's the world's single largest deposit of recoverable oil. Right. So, you know, every, I mean, the, the problem obviously is that there's so much there. We could be doing so much more, but we don't have any capacity to get it out of Fort McMurray. We can't build more pipelines until some of these, these regulations get resolved. Like there's no rail. There's no, you know, so the only way to move product out of there is by truck. Now, if we put another, um, you know, 500,000 barrel a day plant, which I don't remember, I don't know the, the numbers anymore for St. Crude and Suncor, but I mean, they're knocking on, you know, five to 700,000 barrels a day. Is that they're, right? They're tapped out. <clears throat> yes. And like you said, like there's only a handful of pipelines leaving. Yeah. So if we tried to do that by truck, that's what a hundred more trucks on the road, a thousand more trucks. I don't know how many barrels can get into a truck of, of fruit accidents. Yep. It's just, it's countless. It's the, the footprint that you're making it overwhelms any spill the potential that's there for a pipeline. It's just that. Yeah. And, and not to get into the merits or whatever, no. but I mean, it's just so preposterous because the whole idea, the whole background for these anti-pipeline protests and campaigns isn't about the consumption of the product it's about where people buy it from so if you know if we can't move our product to the world market we only have one customer and that's the united states and you know or one main customer and with that they're able to buy it at a supreme discount and i've always been told like if i have a full orange and it's rotten on one side i still have a rotten orange but if we're under strict policies and strict regulations to produce the cleanest oil and no pollution, but you're buying from somewhere else that has no regulations. No, you're still polluting the world. You still have a rotten orange. I just, I don't understand the stereotypes. The the thing that people don't seem to under, well, for me, I, I think people look at it like a grocery store. There's a lot of people who don't really consider the fact that that meat had to be grown, raised, slaughtered, butchered, to get there, if they saw the way it happened, they'd be less likely to eat it. Exactly. And the same thing happens with, you know, energy. They don't care where it comes from as long as it's not in my backyard. But, you know, I, I'm not a naval expert, but I, I know that uh, ocean-bearing tankers don't run on rainbows and unicorn farts. <laughs> they, don't? they puke <laughs> diesel. And if you take a look, grab a map right now, and find out what the routing is from either Saudi Arabia, um, you know, Iraq, Iran, how you have to get that through the, the, I think it's the Gulf of Aden, through the Suez Canal, then through this, then through that, then to open water, then, and once it gets to a port, guess what happens? It's got to go into a pipeline anyway. Yeah. And then it's got to go to a refinery, then it's got to get upgraded, then it's got to, like, where we've got it all right here and we can produce it as as clean or cleaner than anywhere else in the world we can support our own country we can keep our dollars within our own country which then gets used to build schools hospitals roads you know all that useless stuff yeah all that stuff that we just spend countless dollars on it comes from nowhere but debt yeah Yeah. so (laughs) 
I keep saying so. I, I've got a I've got a friend, John Barata, who's going to you know chastise me. He was a producer of one of the shows I I was part of as a sponsor, and that's always one of the things that he discouraged because it's kind of like one of those subconscious uh, things. But uh, this year is obviously shaping up to be a crazy, crazy busy year. It's it's and right now it's so crazy that these outages that we see peaks and valleys usually spring fall have moved completely across from spring to summer to fall and into winter now. Yeah. And these big plants don't have the manpower. So now they're trying to structure and they're communicating with one another and they're doing little outages here, there, here, there, here, there. And it's changing so much so rapidly that supplying them even with tools for the manpower issue is becoming it's impossible. We've seen some of the, the, the outages that were supposed to be starting now pushed because they, like you were saying, they can't get people to, to start. And this is before everything starts. So I'm not sure how we're going to manage all these things. But the, the, you know, again, for people who don't necessarily understand how these plants work, they have to stop production, shut down completely so that everything can get refurbished. They need to clean, they need to replace gaskets, they need to replace bolting, they need to replace, you know, countless things. And, and everything has to be serviced. During COVID, which was a three-year period, a lot of this maintenance and a lot of the repairs got pushed because like, just legally weren't able to do things outside of an extreme emergency. So now, you know, delay, 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 push, 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 push. And now it's coming back and saying like all these plants, all this mechanical hardware is saying like, we can't go any further. And these are not going to be little shutdowns. They're going to be massive. Massive. And we don't have the knowledge backing the manpower so all these old timers are now since retired or took time off during covid and said what hey that was great at a time with my family why am i going back yeah or they went back home because a lot of our workforce is from you know other parts of canada parts of the world etc etc and now not only do we not have the manpower we don't have that knowledge so these little outages are going to take extended periods of time because we don't have that that quick knowledge that quick fix that easy ease of no injuries no headaches no hiccups and we're going to see these outages progress into next year like it's going to be non-stop or worse when they go to start up there's going to be a lot more problems that still need to be addressed which is going to delay the next person's maintenance um you know obviously we work together you guys chose cantor and you know i i can talk all about it um you know as and and I'll reciprocate after after you, but we also chose, you know, MFM. What was it about us without you know being too ass kissery? But um, you know, I, I'm not <laughs> looking. I'm I'm not looking for for uh, you know ego stroking. But what was it about us that that appealed to um, MFM? It's just a, it's a great product. It's a product. Not only is it great, but it's Canadian made. So we're keeping the money in Canada for the same products, only better that you can find elsewhere. So now we're getting distributorship. We're getting <clears throat> not distributorship, but you guys are manufacturing these tools right here in Edmonton. This is something that we need more of. We need the knowledge from Canada for Canada. We need the tooling from Canada for Canada. And we can get these tools. There's no supply chain legs. There's no shipment legs from China. There's no metal missing. There's it's right here. This is what we need. It's, 
not a huge dollar difference. This these products are amazing. They're lightweight. They're top of the technology right now for bolting. And this is what we need to do more of and do better of in Canada. We just need to keep everything local. Yeah. And you couldn't see the one picture that I threw up. I'll throw it back up again, but um, pulled it off of your website um, where there's a technician servicing a hydraulic torque wrench. Now, you and I could take a look at that torque wrench and we know that this is a competitor's tool. This isn't one of our <laughs> no. tools. And, um, but you know, while I take a look at it, it's like, it's not one of our tools because we don't have the same repairs. We don't have the same right. likelihood of failure as some of our, our competitive products. Oh, exactly. There's less failure. It's ergonomically correct. There's less injury. They're a very, they're a light tool. And that's one of the huge aspects over any of the competitors because it can, fine when you have a handheld tool but once you get into the larger rt8s 10s 12s it's a heavy tool and these guys are having to crane competitors products where yours just takes two guys yeah and what what are the um what, what are the kind of criteria that your customers are asking for like do they want do they care about canadian made do they care about speed weight do they care about price what is the the criteria is right now it's it's more or less what they had in the past they're slowly but surely getting out of that, but it's carrying over. Well, we already always had this competitor's product. We have a full fleet of them. Why would we change? And it's, well, it's because it's Canadian made. It's because it's safer. It's because it's lighter. Because there's no lag when it comes to getting parts. So the repairs are quicker. Repairs. If there is, we get them same day. So it's, it's just getting in their heads and making a change. And we're slowly seeing that these tools are faster. They're more slim lined. It's, it's just a win for everybody. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, you know, conversely, you know, we were after Mikasu for a long time. That was, you know, between my, my sales guy and myself um, strategically, there was always a, there was a decision to be made whether we go up and open up our own shop and then try and do everything directly or, do we find someone that we can support that can be our face in the region? Because Fort McMurray from Edmonton is, you know, call it a four hour drive. I think from the outskirts of town to the outskirts of town is 399 kilometers, according to my, my uh, memory of the, the road signs, but it's not, I've done the trip up and down in a day, but it's not really a day trip. So we need to have, you know, an establishment and, and what, what Mikasu does really well. I mean, you're, you're, I think you guys are far better known for your repair services than your sales services or even your rental services. But it was that presence that you guys have so many established relationships. You're the first call for almost every repair and are so well positioned and so well respected in Fort McMurray that uh, it was, you know, for me, it was the only choice that it just took a long time to get lined up. Well, thank you. Well, it's, uh, it took a while to get lined up. And like you said, we've always been great at rental or at repairs. And now we want to move into that sell of new, the sale of new and that rental aspect and just be local and have all these things that are coming out of Edmonton. A, saving the trucks on the highway. B, even for repairs, you're not seeing your hard-earned money leave on a truck to go to Edmonton with tooling, with et cetera, coming from a warehouse, going to a warehouse, being distributed. There's so many hands in the pot. If it just comes to us in Fort McMurray, 
you even pick up the tools directly on site and drop them off to you. Yep. So there's, but that's the thing about Fort Mac is that it's, it's not a next day town. It's not a next week town. It's a, we need it right now town. And that's why, you know, it's really cool. I mean, for, for anybody that's up there, if you're an industrial plant, if you're in that, that space, these guys are building up a really solid rental fleet. They're building up a really, really awesome repair lab. Um, And, you know, Mike's available here all the time, you know, to do demonstrations, to do, you know, uh, consultations and follow up and and things like that. So it's, um, you know, going to be the first call for torque tools in Fort Mac. Right. And we're also we're big into training as well. So it's it follows the PCC one, but it's more or less, it follows the safety aspect, but it also follows the correct tool for the correct job. And that's what's missing in the industry. And that's why there's so many injuries with torque tools because there's improper training, especially with all these senior members of these, the workforces dropping out these new guys, they don't know what it is. They don't know how to operate it. They don't know why we use controlled bolting. It's it's astronomical. It's 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 a huge failure in the industry. But that's why we're here. Exactly. We just need the phone to ring. Yep. Once in a while. Um, again, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask on our racing side of things. What's something about MFM, or what's something about you, or something about your industry that people don't know that they probably should? That's a, that's a weighted question. It's, it's not weighted at all. You know, you, you obviously answer, um, you know, uh, questions that are misperceived a lot. You know, you guys, Oh, you must, you must, you know, there's always something. What, what's a perception you want to correct? Um, just in bolting in general, that's, um, it's, it's engineering. It's, it's, it's astrophysics. It's something so far out there that we need, so much training we need so much literature we need so much but you don't you need proper training of the, the fleet or the man force and it's it's fairly simple with that just hour-long training or two-hour-long training these companies need to see that they need to have their engineers involved because once they get the packages in the field it doesn't take rocket science to put bolts together but it does take literature and the knowledge and the training to make it happen correctly. Yeah. It's it's actually fairly simple. Once you get, once you get your head wrapped around what's actually happening and you know, the operation, you know, the operation of a hydraulic wrench is literally this is to push and hold a button and to let the button go. Um, You know, when, if it's a nut running tool, you pull a trigger until it stops. If it's, you know, there's a million things that we have out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're missing the repeatability repeatability out there. Yep. So if it's not common sense, well, we need to make it common sense. Whether it's doping the studs, whether it's not reusing the studs, there's so much more to it, but it's not hard. I like it. Is there anything else you want to throw, throw out there before we wrap up? No, if you can throw my business card up online, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have that as a, as a cue point, but um Everyone, uh, you know, anybody who follows, they can, uh, they can always send a note afterwards. Uh, you can always find us at uh, Talk and Torque on the socials. Uh, my email is hey there at talkandtorque.ca. Um, you're too shy to send something during the live broadcast. You're more than welcome to email afterwards. I'm always happy to talk about racing, to talk about industry.
history, uh, talk about whatever, the price of tea in China. Um, I've had some great teas over there, and uh, I don't mind sharing those stories either. Um, Mike, thank you very much. Thanks uh, for having me. Excellent representation of your company. Um, we're going to have a busy day tomorrow. Yes. Um, you know, go through uh, go through a handful of uh, updates and uh, some new stuff. We might uh, that could be a, a, an interesting podcast, but we'll probably save that because okay. I don't want to put too many of our secrets out uh, until uh, it's too late for our competitors to find out about them. Awesome. Next time you have me on, I'd, I'd like to be more prepared. Well, <laughs> I hope they did okay. This is my first time. This this was uh, you did just fine. We also need a bit of notice to know exactly when you guys are going to be in town, so we can exactly. actually get these things set up. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll do better, and we can actually um, you know typically what we can do is just get you to remote in by by Perfect. web interface. So awesome. um, that's a little bit easier, but. Um, that was our guest, Mr. Mike Wagner. I want to thank uh, Larry Jackson again. Um, you know, just such such a great guy. Uh, really excited that Larry's going to be back for the uh, the full 2023 season. Um, if you're uh, at anywhere near a NASCAR track, whether it's um, eastbound in St. John's, any of the Quebec tracks, Ontario make sure you get by and, and introduce yourself to the drivers. Make sure you come by and get a hero card. Everyone's got them. There isn't a driver in our paddock that wouldn't stop and take a picture, sign an autograph, you know, exchange a story. Be mindful, of course, when you're going to be there that, you know, drivers have a job to do. And, and if we're a few minutes away from getting on the track is not a really good time. Um, but other than that, everyone is is super approachable you know you can come and see anybody that's wearing a crew shirt and and uh, they'll always tell you a story but uh that'll do it for tonight's talk and torque um you know we'll be back next week and again uh, anybody uh, you can always get me hey there at talkandtorque.ca uh talk and torque on the socials and uh we'll see you here next week Did Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, 
almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.